feel like now? I don't know that I was doing that much different. What were you, we weren't doing? What were you doing? Hello and welcome to this week's Freightonomics. <laughs> I'm Zach Strickland, head of market intelligence here at Freightways. With me, as always, Chief Economist Anthony Smith. And we're here to discuss what's going on in the freight market, supply chain environment, global economy lately, really. Yeah. I think that's, you know, been a thing is the global economy has been also in a state of transition as well as our domestic relationship to that economy. We also have uh, numerous, uh, I guess, destabilization, for lack of a better word, in terms of company, you know, survival mechanisms. I don't know that we're having a flood of bankruptcies, at least not yet, uh, in the market, but there are some looming pending failures coming up. One of the largest ones, Yellow, yeah, a industry dinosaur, uh, if you will, uh, having a lot of trouble. We're going to break down some of the nuances of that today, as well as numerous other little ripples going on in that freight market. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and it's impressive just to kind of see all the different underlying variables coming into play, what's been held off, what's still in action, what's in play right now. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, this transitionary period, it's interesting because from an economist standpoint, from an analyst standpoint, these are the times where it can go either way. And you really have to either stick to your guns and say, hey, I know what the data might look like from the monthly or weekly updates or daily updates, but the overall trend is showing this and you have a case to be built out for that. And you have a case for the other side as well. So it's definitely one of those times where those folks that are looking to forecast really have to either double down and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what I see in the data or this is what the newest and latest data is saying for the newest and latest projections. Yeah, we've we've hit on this several times over the last month, I feel like, where you can't just rely on historical norms and historical trends to come and help you predict the future. Uh, we're still in a heavy state of transition. You know, the more your infrastructure is built up, and we're going to hit on this today with yellow for sure, the more infrastructure you have, the less flexible uh, you are yeah. and, and adaptable you are in an environment that is actually becoming more transitional more frequently <laughs> exactly you know so also i have to mention here um because it's the first time in a while that we've been back it's feel like a while because we were in cleveland last week of course uh if you see me looking down i am checking because uh we are streaming live on linkedin and we're also streaming on youtube and facebook so i'll be clicking in between some of the tabs so if you want to join in on the conversation say hello have a point anything like that when it cancels act any of the above, jump into the conversation and be a part of the show. Yeah. You want to kick us off with a little countdown for the Oh, that's up? right. Starting in three, two, one, go. All right. Let's get things started. Uh, for those of you that have tuned into Freightways TV all day, you've seen this chart a few times already. This is our outbound tender rejection index year over year view. So last year is in green. The current year is in white. It measures the rate at which carriers are rejecting their contracted tenders coming from shippers. Uh, the higher this percentage is, the more, the tighter the market is, the higher rates go. Right now, we are hovering right around 3.7% tender rejection rate. This is historically loose, but it has shown a little bit more sensitivity heading into the July 4th holiday period, as you would expect. However, it, it, even though this is the second tightest period of the year traditionally, we're not really seeing significant tightening in the space. So my big takeaway here is that the market has still got a lot of capacity in it, even though we're seeing 
a little bit of this percolation at a regional level. Speaking of regional levels, let's go to the next uh, chart where we break down a few of our regions. Uh, the big takeaway from this chart, this is our West region tender rejection rate in white. And you can see that it has been underperforming the rest of the regions. Nearly all the regions have been hovering in alignment with each other. We got a little bit of noise up there with the Midwest being a higher rejection rate than others. Uh, but the Western region is now coming back into alignment with the others, and it's a decent tightening. So we're seeing some rebalancing with these freight market networks, but it's not happening everywhere. So therefore, I don't think this is something that we can say, okay, the market is definitively turning in a tighter direction. Capacity has not noticeably uh, retracted just yet. Let's go to the next chart here. At NTIL, our spot rates are showing the exact same thing. A little bit of seasonal tightness here, a little bit more season uh, uh, sensitivity on the spot market rates. NTIL measures spot rates, excluding total costs of fuel. And we got this little hump and it's coming down a little bit. It'll probably bounce up next week, but still nothing to see here just yet. I mean, it's like you didn't even skip a beat. Well, I guess you were busy in Ohio as well with uh, the state of freight and a few other five. I don't, I don't stop. Well, don't stop ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, I mean, one of the big things, of course, that you kind of led off earlier on with was around being able to look at historical norms and now understanding what's happening in the market. Now, the next big thing, of course, people are talking about is going to be 4th of July and the shifts happening around that. We're seeing some movements is this going to be something that's just going to be for the time being, or is this going to be the kickoff into a slow upward trend? Yeah, I, it's hard to say right now. I, I think we're still on that. We're, I think we're looking for reasons to think that the market's turning. You know, the narrative <laughs> uh, beginning of the year, a lot of these executives saying, hey, the market's going to turn, you know, it, it's going to get better. You know, I think Luke Falaska did a good job this morning talking about how he said, he thinks the market will kind of bottom out a little bit this year, uh, but not turn up. It's not going to get tighter. And that's the key. Like everybody thinks once you hit a bottom, everything automatically just goes the other direction. We're just, it, there's nothing there that tells me that we're there quite yet um, yeah. in the data. And, and it's, it's similar to my expectations for the macroeconomy and thoughts of recession, things like that. I do think there's going to be a recession imminently. And the recovery, I don't think it's going to be a sharp, jumping back right. i think it's going to be a gradual rise but nothing that's going to be you know like the alphabets that we were going through the k-shaped recovery the v-shaped recovery the u-shape i don't think there's going to be a a v-shape well, unless there's a yeah. black swan of it we talked about those in the in the same sense that we talked about natural disasters yeah uh you know remember when we first had COVID hit it was kind of like this is a natural disaster <laughs> on yeah. a larger scale than what we're normally used to um, lasted for two years. <laughs> right. And that's going to have reverberations into the future. Uh, and I think this sharp movement isn't something, I think we've grown accustomed to it a little bit. Uh, and it's heightened our sensitivity and our awareness to it. But I think what you're saying in general, economically speaking, we're going to have, we're not going to have these jumps and drops like we've seen in the past uh or the past couple of years at least and the interesting thing interesting thing i should say around the macroeconomic environment right now is that we've always definitely been heavily spending on services yeah but really i think it's become a more and more prominent fixture in our overall macroeconomy is this service spending and 
It is propping up, of course, the record number of job openings within the segment and then spending as well. The service sector is just so massive and so important. And that supports freight volumes, too. I mean, you talk about beverages. (laughs) I mean, some of the highest amount of freight volume in the United States is liquid. (laughs) It is beverages. It is foodstuffs. We've got a huge industry there uh, and it's supporting it. Let's pull up the OTVI. Uh, our outbound tender volume index to get a kind of a freight demand uh, scope out here. This is, of course, measuring the total number of tenders, if we have the chart somewhere, um, <laughs> the total number of tenders going from shipper to carrier. There we go. Uh, and you can see we're not moving near the volatility that we've had in the past two years, which we would expect not to have. But demand is kind of stable. That white line right there, it's we're kind of hovering at a consistent level but it's still well below capacity, you know, and that's going to make things feel softer overall when we have this hovering. Now, the OTVI can jump and and drop. And I think Craig has been pretty adamant and Henry Byers as well about the downside risk is still there on this index. Right. Yeah. I mean, we look at uh, the biggest driving force within the economy being the consumer that is definitely going to be one that's at risk. I think in the second half of the year, they're going to be, they've they've always been the the prominent, you know, the paramount mm-hmm. variable within the U.S. economy. But I think over the next six months, what the consumer endurance looks like is definitely going to decide the trajectory of what the recovery looks like in the freight environment, also in the larger macroeconomy overall. Yeah. So right now, no reason to panic. Things are still moving, stabilizing capacity well above demand. But there is some downside risk looming. So speaking of downside risks, there's some downsizing going on in the market right now. Capacity is is correcting at a very slow pace, according to some FMCSA data. It is not moving nominally just yet. We've got a lot of consolidation going on. However, yellow, the single, uh, the second uh, largest I would say LTL, unionized LTL provider. Behind UPS. Well, UPS is no longer in LTL, but they're the single, the second largest unionized carrier uh, in the United States. Um, Having a lot of trouble, and I'm not here to discuss the politics of the situation that I I don't have a huge amount of interest in that. That looks like some sort of reality TV show, the way that Sean O'Brien has been, and, and they've been going back and forth at the detriment of each other. Um, and Ye- yellow has sued them because of this. Uh, so the writing's on the wall here, Anthony, like I think now that yellow has come out and kind of verified or said publicly that they're going to run out of money within the next month, <laughs> uh, banking failure, imminent, um, yeah. not banking failure, but companies mm-hmm. finance, financial failure is imminent. Uh, the impacts of this are pretty strong in terms of LTL because LTL is far less fragmented than truckload. And the transition of these freight volumes won't happen overnight, but these customers are probably already in the process. Right. Uh, so when Sean O'Brien comes out and says, yellow's running out of money publicly and screaming and yelling, all he's doing is telling the customers to go take their business elsewhere. Right. And now all of the unionized jobs, and there may be a bigger game at play here. I think some people have speculated that this is kind of a positioning for the UPS contract, but I still don't get it because there's 22,000 jobs at yellow that UPS isn't necessarily going to just suck up. And somebody doesn't, I don't know if he's read, but unionized carriers aren't just popping up over the landscape. Yeah. And this is something I think is 
you know, it's interesting because what does success for yellow look like here? How does that come together? So we will, what if we see that, okay, they can survive this. They don't run out of money within the next few months here. They're losing so much business. I'm sure right now is everyone just trying to do their due diligence and say, Hey, you know what? I see where this is going. Mm -hmm. I don't want any parts of this. If they come out on the other side and they maintain their company, they may keep their doors open. What do they look like from a client basis? Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare, uh, as, as a, as you know, a company that's relying on this for service, like you have to find another solution. Uh, and you've seen the stock prices for all the major publicly traded LTL providers going up. Sia, Estes, uh, Old Dominion uh, have all experienced somewhat of a stock market windfall this week. Um, and, you know, it's interesting about how they're suing the union. And you can read that article on Um but I think Craig wrote this article kind of hitting on some of the key components right. of why this is happening uh, and why, you know, we need to let yellow just go. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's kind of a swan song. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, before we jump into it, I think this is like one of those things where if you were a professor, this is just an excellent potential case study for a class. And there's just so many different aspects to this company. And one of the things Craig outlines here, it's not like the executive team is no, they don't know what they're doing. They're they're a competent executive team, but he definitely outlines that Yellow has seen some really close calls over the last few years here. Yeah, and LTL for those of you that don't know, less than truckload, so they carry. They basically go around. There's a big P and D network, uh, so they have these box trucks. Sometimes, sometimes they're 28 footers, sometimes they're 53 footers, and they're going around to these various companies picking up pallets or, you know, they can be oddly dimmed in boxes and things like that. But most of the time it's palletized freight, uh, one or two pallets per shipment, and they consolidate at their facility. And then they truckload it to other places in the country. And sometimes they make multiple stops along the way from they'll pick up in a suburb of Dallas, bring it in consolidated at their grapevine facility, transfer it to Atlanta, Atlanta will then move it onto another truck, transfer it to Charlotte, and then they'll go out and put it into delivery trucks that will take it to wherever it needs to go. This is a much more complicated thing than standard truckload, and it is very much dependent on consistency. Since you have much more moving parts, you have to have consistency to drive that volume. And whereas union labor is also another layer of infrastructure. So you build these freight networks that are complex, and then you build more structure on top of that. When you're building that much structure, you get high gains in efficiency and precision, but you lose a whole ton of flexibility. So any dynamic shift in the market, and I want to pull up a chart to illustrate this. This is going to be the CAS uh, the CAS chart. Where you, this, is the, this is over the last 20 years, CAS Freight Shipments Index. Now, it includes intermodal, LTL, truckload, uh, basically you name it, if it's getting transported. And it measures it at a monthly cadence, then it's an index. But if you look at what I've called out here, these big shaded areas, like you look at the early 2000s, that's a wide range that these carriers have to be ready for. When you're taught supply chain management, you're basically said you need to manage your transportation within a narrow band. You're going to miss the peaks and the valleys. You need to be able to flex enough to catch some of that, but you're never going to catch all of it. And you're never going to be flexible enough to get and, and 
you know, fully automate your way through the process. So when you have so much structure, and if you look at the, or, you know, the 2000, the aughts, as we call them, it was, it looks volatile in general, but it was at a high level for a long period of time. And then it dropped due to the recession. 2010 to 2016, this is the environment that a lot of people in the space grew accustomed to. Very predictable. But if you look at the percentages there, nowhere near where they were in the decade before or what's been occurring since. Right. And if you look at actually the one, the more recent one from 2017 on, it's much less consistent with peaks and valleys in terms of shipment volumes uh, over the last, you know, seven, eight years than any other period of time. Like it's extremely unpredictable. So what this means for a carrier that needs infrastructure and consistency, they, they break down really fast. Right. And, and I think it's a brilliant point to bring up around the levels of complexity. Mm -hmm. You have LTL already one complex beast in itself. And then you have the fact that it's unionized also going to be a whole nother level. Do you think that if we were to remove the union aspect from this, yellow would have a different story altogether? I, absolutely. Uh, the union adds a cost structure that is is really hard for most comp most trucking companies to bear in general because they rely on efficiency to get, like you're talking about five, six, seven percent margins in a good year, in a good market. And then you add another layer of cost that you can't flexibly manage. Now, the argument to be made on the other side is that this gives the employee the consistency that they need, stabilization, et cetera. However, look at what's happening. Right. <laughs> the companies in today's world have to be flexible, just like employees like to be able to kind of bounce around and do their thing. Uh, it, it's in a transitional state, in a volatile space, you cannot have, you cannot rely on infrastructure uh, as your saving grace. You've got to be able to adapt. And unions make that insanely difficult if they can't come to an agreement. Now, there's union examples that work really well when they're working with each other. Look at the NFL. <laughs> yeah. But there's a ton of money that also helps <laughs> right. uh, with that. And they realize that they have to work together at some point in time. And in this case, um, it's an instance where there aren't any winners, really. No. No one wins except for maybe you capture some of Yellow's business and your right. competitor. That's pretty much it. But when you're looking at the two parties of the unions for yellow, the union for yellow and yellow itself, there is not really a, a winning situation here. No, I don't. I don't know. I think yellow is, is all but done. It may somehow get saved by something. Uh, I don't know all the, the nuances of what's going on in the background. The government obviously has ownership here, so anything can happen there. Um, even if the unions do say, OK, we'll give you something, maybe that allows them to survive a little bit longer. But in this down market and the crippling amount of activity, when we're talking about tonnage reports year over year, I, you know, I don't like weight as a pure thing, but combined with other things, the writing seems to be on the wall here that the damage is done. And this, and Craig writes it, he said, it's a zombie company. We need to let it go. <laughs> and I tend to agree here that this is, you know, we're wasting kind of the time <laughs> to just go ahead and re and adapt and evolve into some other, like, it's not like these drivers are going to lose all of their job. Like they're going to get absorbed into other spaces, a lot of them, but they won't be union <laughs> right? more than likely. Right. And so Zach, we're looking at the market right now. Is there any place for a union within the supply chain? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always an argument here. Anytime that you never want the employer or the employee to have too much power. Mm. You really, the ideal setup is for balance. And I think from, you know, you look at the cast chart, 2011, the recession actually gave too much leverage to the employer. <laughs> and we saw that with wage growth right. over the last decade, you know, before COVID. Like the employer really had too much leverage, but it created a very stagnant economy. It grew, but very, very slowly. There wasn't a lot of innovation. There wasn't a lot of change. We didn't really do that much. I mean, think about, I was talking to my daughter about this the other day and a song came on the radio and it was a, it came out in 2004 is, is a song called, uh, 1985. And I was like, we're as far away from 2004 as they were when they wrote this song about 1985, but society shifted and the behavior patterns shift between 85 and 2004 were far greater than that of 2004 to 2023. Now we've got smartphones, internet's a little bit more available. That's about it. Go listen to a song from 2004. Listen to a song in 2023. Not a big difference. 1985 to 2004, <laughs> dramatic difference. And I think when you have these shifts in power, there's there's reasons to push back and they're going to, and that's okay. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of people, the next story that I wanted to talk about, XBO workers oust Teamsters at Miami site of groundbreaking contracts. They basically voted the union out. Yeah. And I think this is what some of these employees are like, we don't want somebody else representing us. Employees have more flexibility than they ever have yeah. uh, in today's economy. There's a, jobs popping up all the time. Specialization is, is tough to deal with in a lot of cases. And there is an argument for a union uh, because you've committed so much time and money and energy into specialization. You want to have some security in your world. Well, it, it, when you're talking about a terminal or a trucking facility, that's got some fungibility with other jobs in the space. It does. And I, I mean, when I look at the argument for unions, I definitely see some of the pros and some of that protection, but then I also start to see some of the negatives where it comes into potentially slowing down progress, potentially yeah. slowing down uh, technology innovations, because there's that fear that, hey, this is going to take away from jobs. But then the aspect that we're seeing from technology really being able to be propped up is because it's going to be more cost effective and it's needed in order to keep the doors open. And so there are some of these counterintuitive, you know, forces at play here. And so where I'm looking at unions, I see some of the positives, I see some of the protections and some of the, you know, hey, you have someone representing you. But at the same time, I look at, hey, you know what? Sometimes it's not the right marriage there. Yeah. And, and you got to come to a balance at some point. So uh, last thing I want to hit on today, and this is something that we're going to need to watch, is we've all talked about the debt <laughs> growth in the United States. Well, we're not talking, we've talked about it from a consumer level a lot, but we haven't really talked about it from a business level example. And bad debt is on the rise. It hasn't grown to the levels, you know, 2016, 2019 levels yet. We had a lot of cash build up over the pandemic, but we're starting to see it really grow. And here's an aspect of it that's really impactful to transportation. Uh, carriers owed millions after Mississippi brokerage files for chapter seven. Nobody's talking, everybody's talking about carrier failures. Brokerage failures are catastrophic <laughs> when you're talking about owing money. Yeah. Like if you have enough of these happen, and this is arguably one of the most challenging brokerage environments that they have ever seen. 
And if they, they don't have the liquidity that carriers have. So if they go under, where's the asset? It's all in the receivables. Mm. It's all in what they're getting paid. So they can't liquidate that. They can liquidate a carrier because they have trucks that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. They got all sorts of static brick and mortar stuff they can liquidate. When a brokerage goes under, if they don't have the money, there's nothing they can do. Right. Their assets are people and technology. Right. Technology is not very fungible. <laughs> right. I, I mean, the only exception here is, of course, like an asset-based brokerage or a 3PL. But I think we're even starting to see some of those cases where they're even potentially selling equipment mm -hmm. in order to make payroll from, you know, just anecdotal, you know, stories I've heard so mm -hmm. far. So I think we're looking at so many of these companies, a lot of folks are on borrowed time. Yeah. And I think the downstream impact here is, is actually like, it's actually going to accelerate things later if this continues. Uh, and these brokerages, you know, they have a lot of payables out there. And this is arguably one of the most challenging things that brokerages tackle is that flow of cash. <laughs> yeah. I mean... That's why we have all these payment services. Exactly. And I also have to give a shout out to Matthew Kane going back and forth and, and some chatting and some great insights on LinkedIn and Tono Lippi as well. Um, thank you guys so much for the viewership and joining us in, on LinkedIn and the conversation online, getting us started. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think, I mean, in terms of business economics, like do you see bad debt? Yes. Kind of growing. Yes. And yes. being an increasing factor. Yes. And um, I think so many companies, of course, made a ton of money throughout the pandemic. And I think there's a limited runway yeah. for a lot of businesses. We're seeing, of course, tech that led some of the layoffs. So only a matter of time, I think, until it goes into other segments. Today. More depressing news. Let's, let's talk okay. about something happier. It's the middle of the summer. Everybody has